it doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's yeah. like dependent on how soon before that you got up. That's how early it is. That's, that's really true. <laughs> Those that's are true. the quarantine you rules. For... Your day starts, you know, within a certain time period of you getting out of bed. Like that's, yeah. that's a, and, and it's a Sunday too. So, you know, carte blanche. To... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einelander. And me, Corinne Kalaski. Hello. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing. And today's guest is Kimberly Escobar. Kimberly Escobar. Hi, everyone. Oh, hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm going to read your bio that you so nicely sent to us. Kimberly Escobar, president and founder of Thursday Media Inc., began her career as publicist at Grand Central Publishing, an imprint of Hachette, before joining the then newly launched Flatiron Books, an imprint of Macmillan, to spearhead their lifestyles publicity. She made a name for the Flatiron list with some of the most discriminating writers in media, and her campaigns often graced the pages of everything from the New York Times to Forbes. She regularly booked top-tier national broadcast media, such as The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Good Morning America, The View, and The Today Show in her campaigns. She recently launched Isaac Mizrahi's instant New York Times bestseller, I Am, which included stops at CBS This Morning, multiple national NPR interviews, and a New York Times by the book interview, among other major press. She also led the recent publicity campaigns for Jamie Oliver and Nigella Lawson and the James Beard and IACP award-winning Bottom of the Pot by Naz Daravian and Between Harlem and Heaven by J.J. Johnson's and Alexander Smalls. Kimberly has planned, executed, and traveled on countless national book tours with stops in venues as large as 1,500-seat theaters to the most intimate indie bookstores. She is now president and founder of Thursday Media, Inc., where she continues to craft headlining media campaigns and attention-grabbing events for her clients. Kimberly earned a BA from Virginia Tech and lives in New York City with her husband and two well-fed cats. Thank you, Kimberly. (laughs) Thank you. It sounds great coming out of your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very distinguished. (laughs) I'm like, did I do it? Did I, was that me? You did all of that. You did all of it. Yeah. Incredible. I'm jealous. Thank you for kicking it off. Jealous that you met Uh, Nigella Lawson. Nigella, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am a lifelong fan after working with her. I'm totally devoted to her. So. Mm -hmm. She's everything that she looks like. Everything that you hope that she'll be. And even more than that, she's fantastic. I'm, as I said, totally devoted. (laughs) Wonderful. It's good to hear sometimes too that you meet your heroes and they're like still your heroes, yeah. you know, after you meet them. So that's a yeah, nice, that, a that nice perk. to me kind of a lot. I find that the people that I really, yeah. that are like the real deal, like her, you know, she's like, she's been doing this for a long time. She's had a million cookbooks. Like they, they tend to live up to the, you know, they tend to be what you think they're going to be. It's like, oh yeah, no, you're, you are really good, really smart and empathetic and you get it. So um, anyway, nice that that works out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pleasant surprise. Yeah. That's good to yeah. hear. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I will ask the first question because it has to do with cats. Um, have your cats Zoom bombed any of your meetings oh during my God. quarantine? So, 
so much. Um, first of all, so we have spent the bulk of our quarantine <laughs> here in our East Village apartment, which you can see uh, on the Zoom call. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband is also working from home, you know, as, as we do these days. And we just have been running into each other. We're just like trying to find space. We're trying to, he's like yelling into the phone. I'm speaking loudly into the phone. We're like trying to do our thing. I mean, I'll just tell you the most notable time this happened because it was ridiculous. I was having a potential client meeting on Zoom. So like, you know, there were stakes. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, he's on the phone at the same time. I'm scurrying around. I'm trying to find base. I'm on camera. It's like supposed to be on Zoom. I was scurrying back to our bedroom, which is like obviously not ideal. So I'm like crushing down the pillows. So you like can't see them in the back, but I'm like actually sitting on my bed and trying to like make it seem as if my headboard is like the back of my chair, which definitely just my bed. And, you know, it's all going fine. You know, we're having this potential client meeting. The potential client was like, definitely a really like straight laced kind of guy like not somebody that you can like really joke with or laugh off this thing that happened and we're like you know almost done with the meeting and we have a, a kitten well she's eight months old now so I guess she, she's teenage um she just goes like strolling across the top of the headboard behind my head just like completely through the shot <laughs> and he just goes I was like, oh my God. I was like, did he, did he notice that? Maybe it glitched. Maybe he didn't see. And I just <laughs> ignored it. And he goes, was that a cat? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was my kitten. Um, I hope you like cats. <laughs> I have a few. <laughs> um, He's like, don't, oh, you're like, fired. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, come on, cats. Like, I'm trying to put a roof over your head. Like, can you, can you work with me here? <laughs> Get it together. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta right? make that kibble money. I, was like, I do yeah. all this for you, cats. So, you know, the I feel that. Yep. <laughs> Connor will just come in and cry. <laughs> He'll be fine until, like, I start talking to I mean, that's to cat life. Else. They're like, who else are you talking to? Who else is even worth talking to? Like, what are you doing? I'm here. Word. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yeah. So um, how did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in publishing? Was it a pretty direct route or a bit more circuitous? So it was totally circuitous. Um, it was totally circuitous. And I didn't, you know, I feel like when you speak with people who had a more circuitous path like I did, the older they get, you know, I'm now in my 30s, the older they get, I feel like the more appreciation you hear from people. And I definitely feel that way. You know, when I was in my 20s, when I was in my mid 20s, and I was getting started in publishing, I mean, I had had other career, you know, I, I had done other jobs up until that point. And my coworkers had been interns at Hachette. And then, you know, they started as assistants, and they were associates. And I was like, oh, for, you know, for it to be so direct, you know, how amazing it felt to me like they knew so much which they did but like you know they knew how to use like the internal systems at Hachette which is like a really great skill but like not a super transferable one and not like you know that doesn't actually help you know about the world and I just I didn't understand that and I didn't put any value in it until I got to be like later in my 20s and then to my 30s and I kind of I found myself drawing on my previous experience, like in really random ways. Like I, I graduated in 2010, which was a really weird time to graduate, especially with a lit degree. It was like, you know, and I just like yeah. jumped into some jobs. You know, I worked in the retail buying industry for a couple of years and, you know, lots of spreadsheets, um, but also like negotiation. Uh, and I learned how to be hyper communicative in that, uh, in that business, which has served me well. And I just, you know, I, I, I understand a fair amount about business now. So I work with, I have worked with and I continue to work with brands and I, I rep a startup company now actually. And I hit the ground running with them. Like there's a lot that I already understand. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I did this thing that seemed, you know, I felt so uh, 
pathless at that time, but it wasn't. It was perspective giving. And now I feel like I am beginning to really appreciate that. And I'm glad. I'm glad that for me, at least it was right that like, that's the way things went. Yeah. And you never recognize that until you're in a particular place where yeah. you feel good. And then you look back and you were like, oh, yes, this all makes yes. sense now. Yes, like you're in a room where like, you know, or this happened, happened to me, I would be in the room with a bunch of publishing people and like, you know, the, the author or the client, whoever would like say something and I would understand. It like didn't have to be explained to me. I was like, oh, I get this already because this other thing that I did that like nobody else has done. And I was like, oh, that is what we call experience and it is valuable. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a while to recognize like what valuable experience is. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, uh, what made you want to strike out on your own and start your own PR firm? A couple of years before I actually did it. It was, I don't know if you would call that a longer term goal. It was, it was something that kind of percolated for a little while. Um, and there were a couple of people who were saying things to me like, like, oh, like you, you know, you're, you're good at this and you, know, you could do this. And, you know, you, have you ever thought about striking out on your own? And like, you know, when it was first suggested to me, I was like, no, you know, can you, can you do that? And then I realized that like, this is a business that actually really lends itself to doing that. And, you know, you can have a really close measure of control over your projects that you work on. And, you know, these other things that like, you know, when you're in the house, you, you don't control and, you know, maybe you love it, maybe you don't love it. And I, you know, once it became real to me, I was like, yeah, actually, yes. Like, that's what I wanted to do. Also, like the idea of being a small business owner was like inconceivable to me. And then as I researched more, I learned more about, especially women who are small business owners. I was like, yeah, I really want to do that. I want to be that. I want to pursue that. And so now I'm here and it's fine. I read so many like scary interviews where people were like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm like, I have a CPA and I have a lawyer and I'm like running around and it's crazy. And I'm like, it's actually not that scary. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's really fine. Like, you know, we've all, we've all managed harder things than this. So I feel, you know, the, the payoff for me is, you know, having total control over my, my projects and my clients and, you know, or who my clients are is so valuable to me. Like I would do, I would start, I mean, I would start other businesses if there was like, you know, way in the future, if there was something else that was interesting to me, I would totally do it because I'm having such a good experience now. Mm -hmm. follow these Instagram accounts where it's definitely, you know, that LOL, I'm the worst kind of millennial like Instagram thing, but it's for like business owners. This one that's like my biz coach says, and it's all just like, I never leave the house and all I do is eat Fritos all it's day. Like, so <laughs> and like, just not true. I think, I think if you're managing your time, like, you know, it's just not true. It does not have to be like that. It can, it can be quite nice. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> um, so what do you miss most about working for a big five publisher? And what do you uh, miss the, the least? email address? I miss having that like, the at, <laughs> yeah. you know, at so and so I mean, it immediate responses in, in some corners of the media world. I have a friend who went from we were former coworkers and we're close friends. And she went from where we worked together to another place that was like even a, a little bit more prestigious. And she was like, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. She's like, I just send emails from this email address. It can have like the barest modicum of a pitch. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my I, God. you know, <laughs> I've experienced a little bit of that, you know, and going from that, you know, having a, a couple of big five email addresses as a publicist and then going to, you know, your own business and having an email address that nobody's ever heard of. And I have worked with all of these folks, all of these media contacts for years. Like they know mm -hmm. who I am, but even that was like, it took a while. There was like a bit of a hurdle where it's like, I had to reintroduce myself. And it's like, hey, you know, remember me? Like I booked Jamie Oliver with you and I tell a lot of that, like, oh yeah. 
And, but it's still, you know, it was a bit of a hump. So I missed that email address. That was great. I didn't know. I didn't know what I had until I didn't have it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you don't it's know what you true. have until you lose it, right? True. There it goes. Yeah. And then, yeah. Queen Joni. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the thing that I miss the least is definitely meeting. I mean, and that's not oh, just something in public. Yeah. I think it's any you know, at this point, I've worked for a number of big corporations. And it's just, it's like, a, I don't know what it is. It just corporations have so many useless meetings. And they just, no matter how many initiatives are launched to like, you know, no meeting Friday, and etc. It just never works. It's just too many meetings. Mm-hmm. So I don't miss that. You know, now, if I have yeah. a meeting, it's like either a one on one between me and a client or whoever, or it's like strictly because like my presence is needed. And like, I'm either reading it, or I'm like consulting. And it's like, you know, it's, it's very directly related to me. And it's not yeah. something where I'm sitting in a room with a hundred people and, you know, three people speak. So. Mm-hmm. You know that if you have to have an initiative to not have <laughs> meetings, you're having way too exactly, many meetings. Exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, that was an unexpected consequence <laughs> of uh, a starting man business. I was like, Oh, well, you know what? Well, you only meet when you need to. And it's great. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> All right. So um, how does a PR campaign for a self-published book look different from one for a traditionally published book? You know what has surprised me to discover is that um, self-published campaigns are very nimble. They're quite nimble. They're scrappy. They can be very scrappy. And I've been really pleasantly surprised to find out that when something makes sense to do, um, you can just do it. There's no bureaucratic reason to not do it. I mean, I prior to this, I only ever worked at big companies and there would always be like some really obscure, odd, like systemic reason why you couldn't do a thing that seemed like it really clearly made sense. And that just doesn't exist in self-publishing. It's, you know, if a thing makes sense, it's like, okay. I, I ask this question of myself and of my clients all the time when we're trying to figure out something. It's like, okay, what is the right thing to do here? You know, because sometimes it's so easy to get mired in like, you know, what's the easiest thing or, you know, what's the most obvious thing. And it's like, all right, everybody slow down, stop. What is the right thing to do? And then you just go do that. There's, there's nothing stopping you. Um, and I really appreciate being, to do that, being able to do that. And it's like, it's a pleasant surprise. Um, that being said, self-publishing campaigns, because they are scrappier, they can be like quite disorganized. So the plus is at the same time the minus. I mean, as I'm saying this, so I'm like, I mean, uh, a campaign at a, at a big five publisher can be just as disorganized. It really has to do with like the author and their team and, and how on board they are, you know, how good of a partner they are with you, you know, the publicist and the editor and the marketer and all the other people that work on the book. Yeah. So did you have a particular interest in food and lifestyle books before you began working on them? Or was it just a happy accident? That so you found I, each other? Have, I have a lifelong interest in food and lifestyle topics. So it's it's no accident that it became my netier in books. I have loved to cook for, I mean, since I was like really little. I have, this is like just some trivia. I have like a little scar on my forehead from where I was like, I was making flan when I was like still too little. Like, you know, I could technically stand at the stove, but like I was caramelizing the sugar and, but I was like low, you know, like, and like a little bit sat out and I have like a little cooking scar and I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. That's like on brand for me as an adult, <laughs> like a little yeah. Um, but that, I mean, I've, I've just always liked to get in the kitchen and, you know, I like the mechanics of it. I like the, I mean, I I like cooking for the same reasons that people who like cooking, they say that they like this tangible thing, this creation. I mean, also for people 
I don't know about you, I don't want to speak for you guys, but like for people like us that are behind computers all day and we, we write emails and it's like very much like an information job, it's nice to build something with your hands and, you know, be able to look at it. I like baking too for that reason because like you can build a cake, it takes all day or takes multiple days or whatever and then you look at it and it's done and it's just standing there on its own. So I like it. I, I like a lot of physical things. I mean, I'm a big subscriber of like DIY magazine and HDTV. Like I, like all of those topics are just really magnolia so um mm-hmm. they're just really attractive to me they've always been that way and then of course I feel like so many people who work in the book industry they have the same like sort of lame reason for wanting to work in books which I share it's that we all really like books so we're like oh we like books let's go work in the book although it's funny because like liking books actually really doesn't have very much to do with it I think in the end but I yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's true but you know I really like books and so that is how I found my way. Yeah. Well, I have to say too, as someone who actually like hates to cook because I'm just terrible at it and I don't have the patience for it. I really admire people who like to cook and like put the time and dedication into it to like learn how to do it. Right. But I also feel like people who love to cook, like they do it as like a way to show love and a way to show that they care about you and a way to show, you know what I mean? Like to me, it's a very generous thing to do. I, like I said, I just really admire that about people who cook because I think it's just, it comes from this place of just, you know, like I'm just wanting to show people You're that you so love right. them, which is You're really so right. nice. Like, I, so. Actually, I say this all the time. Like I say to my husband, I, my love language is cooking, right? Like, like it's like that sense of like caring for yeah. people and taking care of them. And it's not performative actually. Mm-hmm. It's like, I really, and I feel like I share this yeah. with the people who cook. You, you want to see people be well and be taken care of and like you want to be the one to do that and I I really strongly feel the love language at least in myself I feel like you know I don't maybe I don't express love well in other ways but like this is the way I express it so like if I spend Mm -hmm. six hours making a meal for somebody like that's love what else is that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly well and if you think about things like you know when tragic things happen and like somebody passes away like what's the first thing you do like you bring them yeah you know like you bake something for them or you like bring them a casserole or you like just to make their life easier you know so it's just it's very much much covered from this place of I yeah think, just and it's fan cultures really too right so. like I mean there's so much I mean there's just yeah. so mm-hmm. much discussion about how you know across cultures I mean, especially now, because we're talking about so much about how to connect and how to get groups that don't understand each other to connect. And, and we talk about food a lot. Um, you mentioned when you were reading off my bio about Naz Ravian, uh, her, she is, she is a refugee from Iran. She came here when she was seven uh, in the 1970s, and she's never been able to go back. They were, her family were political refugees, and she wrote Bottom of Pot, which was nominated for a James Beard Award and she won an ICT award. We had an amazing year that year. It was really fun going to all the award shows and, and picking up more. Yeah. That was that was great. But she um recent recently appeared on Padma Lakshmi's Taste the Nation. Have you seen it yet on Hulu? I haven't watched it yet. Uh, I haven't so seen it. I've heard good. really good. So good if you ever just yeah. like sitting down and like looking for something to watch, definitely. And it's like very much about yeah. that. It's like very much about I mean, look, this is not a new topic. Like we talk about trying to connect cultures through food because every culture has like a food and a care element in it. And we're like, okay, look, if we can eat each other's Mm -hmm. cuisines and we can understand each other through that, through that, is that, you know, the first open door into, you know, having a deeper understanding. So Naz appeared on that show. And of course, like, you know, for her segment of the episode that she's in, of course, I'm crying. It's so moving. Her story is incredible. Her recipe story and, you know, Mm -hmm. the care and the love that she puts into her food. But, and of course, like Padma's like, 
she does the most incredible mm-hmm. interview too. She just sits down and like asks all the right questions and then just like listens. And I'm like, ladies, like you guys are just both of you really crushing it right now. Like you're just really, I'm like, gosh, it's so good. So, anyway, highly recommend. Oh, and of course, of course, when it went live on Hulu, I'm like live texting my experience to Nas. She's in LA. I'm in New York. And I'm like, oh my God, Nas, like your story. Like, every time I hear it. So, um, no. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. God, now I'll have to like definitely put it on my list because I keep like every time I scroll by it, I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And then, you know, inevitably I go into something else, but that's, yeah, I will check it out for sure. My husband loves to cook. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's probably going to be a a very soon thing for us to start watching that one. goes a little over my head sometimes I will admit I'm, I'm a gardener but uh it I appreciate especially the love language side of things yeah, because I benefit yeah. from it sometimes so <laughs> oh, it's nice that you have a cook in your house it's like mm-hmm. everybody's gotta really? eat yeah it's true it's true and I feel like good. we're we're yeah. all especially confronted with that right now everybody's gotta eat for a while there we were like what do we do? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was reading that like yeah. recipes and food content and Google searches for recipes were just exploding, you know, when we were in the early, earlier shutdown mm-hmm. stage of COVID. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, for people who eat out or, you know, get lunch at their, you know, order lunch to their desk every day or, or go out, you know, to be cooking day in and day out. And, you know, maybe you know how mm-hmm. to make a couple of recipes for yourself, but that's it. And to be feeding yourself and your family every night. So yeah. Somebody told me, a distributor that I work with, uh, with one of my self-published authors, told me that he saw a huge uptick in cookbook sales, too. And I was like, hooray! Like, you know, was, was thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are some of the most unusual campaigns you've so I, I have a favorite campaign. I mean, I've worked, I feel like I, at this point, mm. I've worked on campaigns that just like run the gamut, but I, I worked on one in the past. Actually, we just passed the one year mark. Um, I worked on this book called Drive Through Dreams by Adam Chandler, who I adore and is brilliant. And the book is, um, it's like a history of fast food. He's like a really great writer. He did really in-depth research. Um, he traveled the world actually for years researching this book and he made some like really great contacts at the corporate headquarters of like various fast food brands so when it came time to do the campaign for the book um we like reached into those contacts that he had kind of developed for for the research Mm -hmm. and you know we sent them copies of the book and like you know we we like sat in my office and like page flagged all of the mentions of like mcdonald's and then sent it to the mcdonald's rep and then the same thing for like arby's etc like and we we did we ended up partnering with arby's corporate to do the launch party at arby's on 23rd street here in manhattan and it was it was oh, so fun. fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. it just, like, really turns the whole, and he's, like, so smart, and he used to write at the Atlantic, and he, his work regularly mm-hmm. appears, like, Washington Post, and every, like, really classy, brilliant writer, and we just had this blowout at Arby's. It was, there were curly fries, mm-hmm. there were sliders, it was, you know, we had writers from, like, all over the place, like, he was inviting friends from, like, the New Yorker, and they were, like, there's an Arby's in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and we're, like, yeah, come on over. Like, <laughs> there's going to be curly fries. And, um, and then he did a really classy conversation with Lizzie O'Leary, just like a really smart conversation about fast food and like what it means culturally to us and mm-hmm. to, to different people around the country, you know, the coast versus the interior of the country and, and um, mm-hmm. to old people versus young people, just a like really smart conversation. And then we gave, uh, we made branded, book branded wet naps to give away as favors. 
And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. it was I so fun. That's perfect. And then also like he went on, I mean, that campaign was amazing. Like he had like multiple stops at NPR to talk about this book about fast food. And mm-hmm. he was on like the BBC's uh, World News America. He appeared on TV and, um, mm-hmm. you know, he wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post. It was just like for a book about fast food. It was like fantastic. It, just, it was really good and really unique. And I yeah. think it like came at a moment that worked. So that was an unusual campaign. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. No, with all the problems of like, you know, factory farming and all that stuff aside, like it's really nice to see people are looking at the uh, cultural side of fast food right now. Like we had, um, we interviewed Danny Kane from the Raven Bookstore and he wrote like a whole book of poetry about all of the different Midwestern like fast food places that he went to. And it's like a few poems for each one. And it's, it's, uh, it's nice not to see people being shamed for like being interested and, you know, doing these things every day, kind of like, you know, the early 2000s where it was like, right. you're going to die. Right. It's like, you, you know, that's like, that's, at this point, like that's really well-trod territory. Like, you know, we've read Michael Pollan, like we know it's bad for us, but especially for a huge swath of the country, it's like really important culturally, you know, it, it mm-hmm. deserves, yeah. Yeah. it deserves the faith to be talked about. It's, it's just, it's another part of culture and history. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can talk about, I mean, factory farming and yes that's bad and you know the impact uh on people's diets like yes that's bad and people who feed their kids mcdonald's every single day just because it's easier and cheaper than not feeding the mcdonald's like yes that has its place but you know mm-hmm. i re- i really appreciated this like other perspective and i think the media did too because we, he really got amazing we got amazing placement for that book and it was qu- it was quite different mm-hmm. i love it yeah yeah that's very cool yeah oh man <laughs> oh it's me okay yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry. We're like switching back and forth between the questions and then we get confused. And yeah, but anyway. Because we're having such a fun conversation. Yeah, it's true. This is what happens. You get like in the flow of it and then you just forget. So, all right. Um, so, what do you look for in the self published authors that you take on as I look clients? For, um, I look for authors who I think are going to be really good partners. And like when I say a good partner, I mean, like especially now that I'm able to choose, I feel like I am choosy because it's really not. I mean, first of all, I, I really want to enjoy the book. That is important. You know, I, I like while any, I think good publicists can publicize something that even if they don't love it, like now that I have kind of created the space yeah. for myself to choose, I'm like, I want to love it. Like that's just more pleasant for me. So that's first and foremost. And then the author is like, I mean, I, I, they have to be good to work with. Like I, they have to be, they have to be the kind of person who like responds to their emails. And if I ask them, you know, for work or yeah. for book assets, you know, I'm, I'm like, hey, write an op-ed, please, you know, and they agree to it. And, you know, we all think it's a good idea. And then, you know, if I need, mm-hmm. if I need book assets, like I just, I mean, journalists and writers work on deadline and thusly like soda publicists. So like when I need stuff, I usually mm-hmm. need it like right now. Um, and it's really hard when you have somebody who's like not yeah. a good partner, somebody who's like too busy to like engage with you. And it's like, okay, well, you hired me and I, I really want to please you. Like, I want this to be good work. Like, this is also, I'm putting my mm-hmm. name on this and I want it to be good. So it's like, meet me there, like help me make it good. So I really look for that. I'm like, really, I try to be really careful. I mean, you don't have a crystal ball about everybody. And that's always disappointing when, when you bring somebody on and you, you connect with them and then you, you get to the work and it's like clearly not as invested as you are. And I'm like, look, if I'm I'm more invested than you are, then like, I I think though also there's a misnomer. I think sometimes folks will hire a publicist and think that they're, and I I actually think that this runs across the board. I think it's the same for editors and I think it's the same for marketers too. They bring, they hire a person and they're like, okay, you go off and do everything. You just do it for me. And it's actually much more of a two-way street. And I think that that is Mm -hmm. surprising to people. 
And I don't know, I don't know like at what point in the chain you fix that. You know, I, I don't know if it's like, I mean, in the case of more traditionally published books, I don't know if it's like the agent that kind of like clears it up and it's like, hey, no, like you have to bring, you know, you have to come to the table. Like you have to pitch in and like, this is, this is the way it works. But I think sometimes people are like, I hired a publicist, like that's it. Campaign will happen. It's like, no, I need some input from you still. Right. It makes it better if I have input. Yeah. 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 So what are those um, kind of concrete, important things that an author can do to make your I mean, job easier? Yeah. Or I their mean, publicist's job? I mean, as I said, like, being really prompt on, on email and also just like turning around anything that their publicist asks for. Mm. Like if their publicist is asking for it, they can just assume that it's urgent. <laughs> it's like everything feels urgent. It's like if we're being asked <laughs> for something, we really typically don't have very long to get it to whoever is asking for it. Um, before that hit is like past deadline or, you know, it just dries up in some way. Also like losing momentum is a real thing. Somebody can be really excited about a pitch and then, you know, I'm like dragging, you know, whatever it is that I need from the author. And then the person loses interest or they get a different pitch that's more exciting to them. And they put that in their column the next time it goes. So um, being really prompt is important. And then being a good person to work with is important. You know, I don't know. I feel like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being nice. Yeah. Like, Being nice goes I mean, a long way. Yeah. A handful of different industries. And I'm like, how do we like teach this in college? Like, how do we establish like what it means to be like a good, solid, decent person to work with? You know, I don't, I don't know what that is, but. I feel like a lot of that is supposed right. to happen yeah. in childhood. It's like, yeah. it's like deeply psychological, right? It's like how, you know, how to play nicely with others. Mm-hmm. Like that is helpful and here's the thing like when an author like and I I think about I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I it's important for an author to have trust in their publicist like if you've done if you're an author and you've done your due diligence and you hired a publicist that was like recommended to you and you had a really great call with them and you really connected and you felt like you know you feel that they're excited about your project if you've done all that and you know and that person is is reputable if you can trust them And it's actually, it's really counterintuitive for somebody who has shown the initiative to go ahead and write a whole book to like, to let go. Mm -hmm. Like that is a really hard thing to expect of people who really actually have a ton of initiative inside them. You know, I'm like, okay, here's my advice on this topic. Like you should just take it. And there it's hard for some people. And it's really hard for people like not to micromanage and hard for them to understand like why that's actually hurtful to a campaign. It's like, if you're, if you're running your publicist off their feet, responding to your emails, because you just feel so insecure, they aren't pitching your book. They're responding to your emails. You're just, well, I mean, they are Mm -hmm. pitching your book, but you know what I mean? It's like their focus is divided. Whereas you really Mm -hmm. want their focus to be on the pitches and on the campaign and doing the smartest, best thing for you and your book. And I've like had this conversation so many times with people. I mean, interestingly, more in-house, than when I work with self-published authors, because maybe maybe there is a feeling of control with the self-published authors. They're like, okay, I picked this person. I am paying this person directly. And But it's like you have this conversation when you're like, hey, like you brought me on and I'm an expert in this and you can trust. And when, when they do, it's magical. Like I have an amazing client right now who I really love and I hope that she just keeps publishing books so I can keep working with her. <laughs> but she, she just really mm-hmm. like, she asked me my opinion and I give it, you know, if she has questions, she asks them. And then she just like takes the advice and she is flying. She's, she's mm-hmm. published. She doesn't have, you know, these things that we like traditionally look for, like a platform or social media. Like she doesn't have any of those things. She's done uh, morning TV. 
in her in her you know her local morning TV. She's had national media, print media. Like she's just she's flying, having an amazing campaign, even if in this challenging cycle, news cycle. So she's just one of these people who's really smart. She trusts. And anyway, I hope all my clients are like this. <laughs> I hope so Thanks. too. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. are some pretty clear directions. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I mean, my mic, so I used to be as a publicist at Harper like many, many moons ago. But um, I kind of had the same experience with authors too, where it was like the ones who were constantly being like, why am I not on the Today Show? Why am I not on Oprah? Like, why am I not, you know, it's like you asking me this all day long is first of all, yes, taking away from my ability to answer other emails and like pitch people who might be interested in you. But also it makes me not really be super motivated to help you because it's so clear that like you don't trust me to do my job, you know? So anyway, yeah. all I'm saying is I totally feel what you're saying because I remember that yeah. so well and, and it's, it's so frustrating. It's definitely a personality so. type, right? And like now I try to screen for it, but it's like yeah. I try to screen oh, yeah. for it, but like I've mm-hmm. gotten, I've done this for long enough now that like I can kind of spot that, you know, I get one funny email or one mm-hmm. funny text and I'm like, oh, I've got your number. Yeah. I know. Like I know what mm-hmm. you're about. And it's like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's not, people are not helping themselves <laughs> with this and they don't get it. Like somebody who's like in that place to begin with, they just don't get it. So. um to all of your listeners who might be tempted to do something like this, just, just, you know, meditate, take CBD, like do whatever you need to do mm-hmm. to not do it. <laughs> because, yes. Have you, yeah, yeah, have you like, tried just, like, CBD oil? Like, whatever you need to do to resist the temptation to email your publicist a thousand <laughs> times a day and, you know, divide their attention yeah. away from things that are more important. Just don't do it. <laughs> hmm yeah. And we were talking to another book, mark- they were a book marketing coach and that was um, the core of their message was like, we're all on the totally. same team. <laughs> like the, you need to assume that we're all working for the same end, which is to sell your book to as many people who will love it totally. as possible. You know, like we're not enemies. Exactly. It's <laughs> we're so not at cross purposes. Interesting that, that like sometimes needs to be pointed out, but it does. It's like we're all in this together, we all really want to reach the same goal. Like we all really wanted this book to do well. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. You know, we would go do something else for work. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's true. All right. So what advice do you have for authors who are more introverted and maybe not really comfortable putting themselves out there? This is another conversation that I, that I have. Um, Because like I was saying, somebody who's like has the initiative to go ahead and write a whole book is like somebody who has a lot of, you know, get up and go. And so to tell them to like, chill out is is tough it's not intuitive for them the same thing there are a lot of introverts that write books and I hear this all the time authors say to me like you know oh how can I how can I go out and email you know this person that I maybe met a couple of times or this person who's like a friend but like also could be helpful you know to the campaign or or what have you they're like how can I do that how can I just this is and I hear these words all the time shameless self-promotion and Mm -hmm. it is a big hurdle to get over and what I what I do, like for my clients, first of all, I will offer to write a lot of communications for them because sometimes it's just like they cannot get over that hump of like putting the words down. And I have just written so many emails and communications as a starting point. And then I send it to them and they're like, oh, you know what? Like that actually, that, like that looks really reasonable. Like that doesn't look like I'm asking for the moon. Like that's, it, that, that just reads like, oh, I'm excited about this book that I've written and am now launching and I want to share it with you. And I'm like, yes. Yeah because that's all it is. And here's the thing, like your friends and contacts and whoever else, like people want to help each other. It's, it's just inside us. So it's not shameless and it's not negative. And 
I, I do have this conversation all the time, like explaining to people. And then what really seals the deal is when they start, you know, whether they just send my email exactly as it is, but from their email address, or, you know, if they change a couple of words to like make it more their own, when they start getting positive responses, it seals it in. It's like, okay, this isn't negative. This isn't shameless. People want to help me. People are excited for me. And it kind of like changes mm -hmm. it around. So by the time we like actually get to pub or even post pub, like people get far more comfortable with it. But I think it's important for a publicist or a marketer to be really cognizant of it and just handhold a little. It's fine. You know, it's fine. I, I have a question that's actually not on the list. And if, and if it's weird, you can cut it or we can cut it later. But like, I know that not every author who is self-published can necessarily afford a PR company to um, to work for them the same way that another one might. But um, do you have like any suggestions for someone who maybe needs to do their own PR when they're first starting I out? I think about my response to that because um, PR is one of those things that I think if it's done well, it looks easy. And it's actually, it's, I mean, it's a couple of things. It's A, it's a tremendous amount of work. It's such a time investment. I remember, you know, when I first started in publicity way back when, I, I was like shocked by how many hours I spent on a single campaign. Um, and then the other thing is that it actually, it does take a fair amount of experience. So it's tough. It's tough to distill it down. So maybe see if there's like someone you can reach out to for advice on yeah, like your I mean, personal case. Well, the other or... thing is like people who write books tend to know other people who write books, right? Like if that's a fairly small world. So I mean that's a, that's a place to start. You can reach out to a friend who's published or self-published. I think that you know good publicity, a publicist worth having, is is expensive. I think it's you know it's true. Um, and the same goes mm -hmm. for like freelance editors and stuff like that. You know, it, it unfortunately it is what it is, but. But, yeah. you know, I think, you know what, no, it's actually, I shouldn't make it sound like such a scary thing. There are a lot of materials just out there in the public domain about how to write a pitch. Like, yes, in part, you hire a publicist because you want access to who they have access to. That's important. But there are a lot of email addresses and contact information that's like also out in the public domain. And you can reach out to people whose work you read and you think is relevant to what you're working on and you think that they would be interested in a copy of your book. And then, and I do think it's very important to look up standards for pitching because when, if somebody gets a pitch that's insane, insane sounding, like it hurts the book more than you can even know. It's just like that, that writer will like, that you've pitched will be like, okay, this is crazy. I would never cover this now because my first impression is just so off. Like, even if, if you did that and you put the message about out about your book in a really like insane way, and then you, it didn't work. And then you later on hired a publicist, like you really would have shot yourself in the foot. It would be hard for that publicist to go back and fix it. So do the research in advance. Like pitching is a pretty structured thing. And luckily it's easy to find out how to do it. Hyperlink. Don't put your, bury your hyperlinks. Don't, you know, stuff like that. That makes me mess. Like I get stuff and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, like just bury the hyperlink. Um, but like, I mean, luckily yeah. the rules for pitching are pretty easy to find. It's not, um, you know, you can find out how to write a really cohesive pitch. I mean, I think that's what I would say to somebody who doesn't have the resources to, to hire a publicist. I would say do that. There's a lot of information that can be found in the public domain about how to do this. And then, you know, you can find contact information, some. I think that's good advice. Yeah. Okay. So how does the media landscape look different now from how it did when you began your career? And how have the tools you used to do your job changed in yeah, that time? Like the media 
housing landscape, um, obviously downsizing happens all of the time. You know, when I first started, we, we did pitch regional newspapers. I mean, I still pitch them, but it doesn't really yield what it used to yield. You know, they used to have, you know, there used to be arts desks at, you know, every, mm-hmm. in every region and they had book coverage and that was the thing that we did. It's like not really as, you know, if I have any coverage in a regional newspaper now, it's usually because it got picked up from the wire. That's just kind of the way it goes now. So that's changed. There's definitely mm-hmm. a smaller pool mm-hmm. of people available to pitch um, and it changes constantly. I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked to other publicists and it's just like, you know, you, with yeah. every pitch that you send out, you get, you know, with every campaign, you get like so many responses that are like, hey, like, you know, we've cut this position, it's moved on. So, you know, that is a thing that's changing constantly. I mean, I even have to say, like, in the, since the beginning of, of COVID, things have changed rapidly. And, you know, we, we call our new style of living due to COVID, you know, temporary, but like, it's not, it's going to be like this for a long time. So like, I don't do media mailings anymore, which was like a huge part of my job. You know, every time I, I signed up a client, it's like, okay, I need 250 galley copies and I'm going to send them out unsolicited to all these newsrooms around the country. And we can't do that now. I mean, it just, it what would make me sense. There's nobody there. So, and, you, and I would never pitch a, or send a book <laughs> unsolicited to somebody's home. Like, yeah, if it's somebody I know and I've worked with a lot and I have their home address, like under no circumstances would I just send a book to their house. Like, I just would not do it. So, you know, it's changed in the past couple of months. You know, I pitch <laughs> first and I'm really careful about asking, like, do you want to receive this? Like, would you prefer, you know, an e-version? I'm now having all my clients line up e-versions of their books, you know, which is its own challenge with the tech. But, you know, I'm definitely proceeding a lot more gently. I mean, we always proceeded gently and with care, but like really gently and with a lot of care now people are at home they have kids it's like you know there's a lot of fear in the air still and it's you know we're we're just all trying to figure this out so yeah I remember when we first started with all of this when I would send business emails like if I was supposed to be like nudging a client for something I just wouldn't I would just like send a preliminary how you doing email <laughs> like <laughs> let's see how you're feeling right now before yeah. I ask you so, like, like for your how feedback much time on do we thing? spend now inquiring after like people's yeah. health and like their their family's health and like you wouldn't I mean we mm-hmm. normally would never but now it's like hey like I hope you all are feeling really well and doing well and you know I hope everyone's safe you know we're like discussing mm-hmm. safety with our yeah. work contacts it's just like not a thing that we're ever doing but yeah true mm-hmm. very true do we have any more questions i think Karina? that's it do you do i have any more questions <laughs> i don't think so no not that i can think of no all right um kimberly do you have anything I, that you want to plug no not particularly actually which i know is, is a little off brand for a publicist but um i think if there's anybody <laughs> no, nothing yeah, in particular yeah, exactly. i want to plug if there if there are any of your <laughs> listeners that want to find out a little bit more about me um my website is thursday-media.com and there's just like, you know, my bio again and some information about my clients and, and contact information for me there as well. So if there's anybody who wants to dig a little deeper, that's where I can be found. But that's it. All right. You can find us on Facebook at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, and Instagram at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. Please visit our website, hybridpubscout.com. And while you're there, click join our troop to get our new guide, the HPS Guide to Picking Your Publishing Path. And thanks for giving a rip about books.